Hello and welcome to the Southside Church podcast. For more information about Southside Church located in Cape Town, South Africa, visit southsidechurch.co.za. We hope that you enjoy the message. I've got a confession to make. I have a naughty personality. So, so I'm not talking about like evil naughty, I'm talking about mischievous naughty. I remember um, my first year at Bible college, and um, I was a first year, and uh, every week we would have assembly, where we all have to go into assembly, and then the principal speaks, and they do announcements, and you do worship, and then third years, like, we'll give you information about projects and things you can get involved with. So we go into this assembly, me and my friend, first year, sitting down, and the principal gets up, and the whole mood of the, the assembly changes, and he stands up, and he says, I have some concerning news to share. We've had some students in the college which have been behaving inappropriately, and I'm sitting there looking at my friend, and I'm like, shame, man, maybe like, you know, second year or something like just, you know, because theology, like, guys like turn from God when they study the other. Maybe like there's inappropriate relationship between a guy and a girl and they just, oh, I don't know why. You know, all these things go through my head. And he's like, and we will be addressing this because this is not what our college represents. And I'm thinking, man, geez, maybe one of the oaks like, you know, was like trashed at a barn, started a big fight and then had like his, you know, like badge on or something. I'm like, whoa, sheesh. And I'm like, shame, God, just, you know, help those students which are struggling. Well, Monday morning, I'm walking in to college and the principal says, please come to my office. I'm like, what? He walks me in, he sits me down and says, you're on three weeks probation at Bible college. Okay, like I'm on three weeks probation at Bible college. And I, I'm like stumped. I'm like, what did I do? Like I actually didn't know. Like I'm going, geez, I never smoked weed. I didn't, like I'm trying to go through, what did I do? That was so hectic. And so I walked back to my class, and I was, I was actually, like, totally taken for a six. I did not expect this. And so I go back to the class, and on my way, I start to, like, get into, like, a little bit of, like, now my mode's changing, and now actually I'm not sad anymore. Now I'm angry. Because God's word says, if a brother has an issue with a brother, go and address it with him. And then if he doesn't listen, take someone with you. So whoever had an issue with me, some way didn't come to me first. So I walked in and I, and I stood in front of the class and I said, hello guys. Uh, I just want to say, I'm, I'm quite shocked by the fact that someone went to the principal to report that my behavior in the class was inappropriate. See, I was just a mischievous, fun guy. And someone had an issue with that. So, so I say at the end of the class, can whoever it is, please come and talk. I don't want to fight. I don't want to be right. I just want to reconcile. I, I want to learn from whatever it is that I missed with a log in my eye. And so I waited until the end of class. Of course, I heard nothing else. All I was thinking about is my one-liners that would just like destroy them and make them fall to the ground and say, I'm sorry, you know how we are. We want to win, but I was like, no. And then everything finished and I waited so that I could see who's that one person that's going to wait behind you. Who's the one person that's got the issue with me? The whole class stayed behind. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, what's wrong here? And then I go to the crowd, and to my relief, they say, hey, Grant, no, we're all here to support you, because we don't know what the problem is. And then out of the midst of this crowd of fun people that knew how to just make 
a lecture a little more exciting than sitting and just downloading information. A little petite, short-haired, khaki-wearing, bird-watching girl pushed through the crowd. She looked at me, said, I told the principal. <laughs> now, you got to understand, if you put us next to each other, we were like complete. It was like night and day. It was like tattoos and skinny jeans and Nike Air Max and not the same. <laughs> so what had happened is she had taken offense to my personality. So the issue was actually that she had the issue. And what I call people like that is party poopers. Okay. I don't know where she is now. Jesus has a plan for her life. Maybe she's listening to this podcast. If that's you out there, you're beautiful and incredible. And God used this very thing for the good. Because I'm using it in a sermon. How many years later? 15 years later. And um, so party pooper, the word, comes from the slang. And the dictionary describes it like this. A person who throws gloom over social enjoyment. Okay, they just come and dampen the party, the party pooper. Now, before we get started with anything else, I must acknowledge that today is known by many as Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week, the week of events leading up to Jesus' death. And it's a time of reflecting on the final week of Jesus' life. The celebration of Palm Sunday originated in the Jerusalem church around the late 4th century, and it commemorates the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem for the Passover, which was a Jewish festival during the period. Now, Jesus at this point came riding into the city on a donkey while the crowd spread their cloaks and palm branches on the street shouting, Hosanna, son of David, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to honor him as their long-awaited Messiah and King. Okay, so this was part of Jesus' final week before his crucifixion. And we're going to look at that today as we enter the final week before Easter weekend. Now you're asking the question, what does the idea of a party pooper have to do with Palm Sunday. So let us begin by creating the context by looking at that very moment Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. John chapter 12, verse 12. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So, in biblical times, the regional custom called for kings and nobles arriving in procession to ride on the back of a donkey. And the donkey was a symbol of peace. Those who rode upon them proclaimed peaceful intentions. And they lay the palm branches indicating that the king or dignitary was arriving in victory or triumph. So, to the onlooker, this event would have looked like a celebration. It would have felt good and there would have been smiles all around. It was a party and the people responded with shouts of joy. It's like, woo, yeah, Hosanna. But in the midst of the smiles and the celebration, 
The book of Luke chapter 19, 41 records Jesus' response as he got to the party. And this is what it says. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Okay. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever, like, been to a party with friends, but there's always that one friend that puts a damper on the party because they're always in the middle of drama. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're all together having drinks on the porch, like watching the sunset, and then, oh, my word, everyone knows Susan's walking in now. And there's always an issue. So, like, she comes in, and then she cries in the corner, and everyone stops celebrating, and they all turn to her. What's wrong? She just takes all the energy out of the room. I don't know. That's a party pooper, okay? Now, we need to understand that while everyone was smiling in celebration in this moment, Jesus was crying. Jesus seemed like the party pooper in the situation. We're all like, woo, yeah, he's coming. And she's like, I'm like, party pooper. There are times in our lives where we may perceive Jesus to be spoiling our fun, being the party pooper to our celebration, or making our lives miserable. Jesus, we were celebrating and you had to bring the tears, didn't you? Shot. But maybe we feel this way because of our inability to see what he can. You see, Philip Yancey speaks of the moment where Jesus wept while he was moving toward the celebration. And she writes this. She says, Jesus himself had mixed feelings during the glamorous parade. Voices who shout Hosanna one week would shriek, crucify him the next. Jesus could see what the people couldn't. Now, my youngest son is sitting right in front over here. His name is Aaron. Come here. Come, just come here quickly. Come here so everyone can see how beautiful you are. This is Aaron over here. Say hello. Hello. You can take your seat. Thank you, my boy. Now, Aaron loves sports. He's active. He wants to do every sport you can do. He loves rugby. He plays with the under-13 team that my son's in. He goes there and just plays with them. And recently he got sick, and he had to stay home. So, so the kind of day starts okay, you know. So I'll work from home that day, and he's in bed late, and I take him some tea, and then I say, play some Lego or read a book. And it's all good until about 1 o'clock. And then suddenly he comes through, and he says, I want to play outside. See, he's this like sporty kid who wants to just go kick balls and pass, and I want to play outside. And when he asked me that, as a parent, I understood the impact that would have on his body. I understood that if I let him get out and run around in the cold air with a bad chest, it could lead to something called pneumonia, which he can't even spell. I knew more about the science of sickness than he did. In fact, I held him as a vulnerable, premature baby with a wet lung in ICU. I watched him for two weeks and knew that throughout his life, he may be prone to chest infections because of that. But he couldn't see it. So in his eyes, I was a party pooper. And then he shouted at me and he said, 
Why can't I go outside? Why, why, why? But even when I explained it to him, he couldn't fully comprehend and understand in his mind what I was saying. He never would. He wouldn't understand. Many of the words and the things I said would not make common sense in his child's mind. But even when he didn't understand, even when he was angry and he didn't understand my actions and he got frustrated, he ultimately still submitted to my lead. He might have been angry and had an opinion about me in that moment, but he still didn't deny me as his father. He didn't leave the house and live in an orphanage. He ultimately submitted to my lead and worked through his struggle because he knew he didn't have a choice. And one day, my boy, as he grows up, he will remember the moments in which I made decisions that seemed to steal his smiles. And he will grin and realize how those parenting moments shaped his future for his best. You see, when we perceive God being a party pooper in our present circumstances, he might just be rescuing us from a problem we can't see in our future. He might just be rescuing us from something we can't see in our future. Tim Keller said, God will either give us what we ask for or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. But even so, how often can we push God away or deny him because we feel like he's stolen our smiles? You came into this fun situation. My life was good. And God, I trusted you. And I was all excited and celebrating. And you let me down. You, you made me weep where there should have been smiles. We still do that. Maybe right here you've drifted from God because you went through an experience where you felt like he was the party pooper in the midst of what was supposed to be a celebration, what was supposed to be fun, what was supposed to be amazing. But what if rather than responding like that, we acknowledged our feelings, but like children, we chose to still not give up on our heavenly father? What if, like my son, even though we got frustrated and didn't understand, we could acknowledge our feelings without feeling like we should run from a God that doesn't know what he's doing? Luke chapter 18, verse 17, and God's word says, Learn this well, unless you receive the revelation of the kingdom realm the same way a little child receives it. A little child goes, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. You've made me mad and frustrated, but I know I don't have a choice and I'm not going to run off to an orphanage. Unless you receive it the same way a child receives it, you will never be able to enter in. We are his children and he's a good father. And that means when we perceive God being a party pooper in our present circumstances, he might just be rescuing us from a problem we can't see in our future. Therefore, we can with confidence hold on to Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Stop depending on what you think God should do and how he should do it. If you've been let down or felt like he's been a party pooper in the middle of your life, maybe it's time to let go of trying to understand the why and accepting that you cannot lean on your understanding but should with all your heart trust him. 
because he might just be rescuing you from a problem you can't see in your future. So, sometimes we can feel like he's the party pooper, but we can still continue to trust him. Other times, it can feel like God is weaker than the size of our problems. Other times, it can feel like our problems are much bigger and more powerful than God, like somewhere the strength of his mighty hand is missing in the middle of a struggle. And so I want us to now shift in that last week of Jesus' life from the triumphant entry where he wept while they laughed to the moment in which he had his last supper with his disciples. Now, we read in John chapter 13 the account of Jesus' last supper with his disciples before his death. And during their time together, Jesus got up, it tells us, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, the disciples would have probably begun to identify the towel wrapping around the waist with a practice that would, not, would be unthought of for Jesus to perform as their powerful Messiah. So like, what's he doing? No, he's not doing that thing. Like when they tell, I know where this goes, there's no ways he's doing this. And I can imagine in that moment as he started wrapping the towel that they probably stopped chewing, stared at him with a mouthful of food, hoping he was not about to do what they thought he was going to do. They might have turned to each other and pulled faces of bewilderment, perhaps even shaking their heads. One may have signaled with his hands that he thought Jesus may have had too much wine. Jesus then proceeds to fill a basin with water, and the disciples' suspicions are confirmed. Jesus was preparing to wash their feet. And as he approached Peter, the disciple, ready to wash his feet, the disciple shouted back to Jesus, No! No! You see, during this historical period, foot washing was considered so degrading that a master could not require it of a Jewish slave. It was a humiliating act of weakness in the culture. And maybe you've experienced moments where it seemed God was weak in comparison to your problem, and you shouted at him, no, God, no. No, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way you should be doing stuff. I need power right now. No, God. It reminded me of an example, an illustration I shared a few weeks ago, which I'll share again because I told Jesus to make you forget. <laughs> a pastor from America, um, Peter Haas, um, was speaking to us, and he was telling us about his wife's parents that came from Scotland. And they had always dreamed of moving to America. They wanted to live the American dream. And so they sold everything they had, scrounged every cent they could, and they planned a trip to jump on a boat and go through to America. They put all their things on, on, on ships, and it was sent off. And they were then preparing to leave themselves. And on the day, they ran down with the last of their cases. They'd spent years planning this, saving, working toward it, sacrificing to get to America. And today was the day. They stepped off the shoreline of, of Scotland, and they moved toward the great America. And it, it, the, the story is that as they got to the harbor, they were a few minutes late. And carrying the last of their luggage, they ran to the edge where the ship was supposed to be waiting for them, and it was already about five meters off into the water. 
It could not be turned around because of its size. They had no other tickets and there was no way they could afford to ship all their belongings back to Scotland. And they stood there and I can imagine them dropping their cases and going, no God! And then I could imagine the no God echoing all the way into space. No God! No God! I mean, that's a serious no God. That boat that they missed was the Titanic. Let's remember Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 in that context. There is a way which seems right to man and appears straight before him, but its end is the way of death. What Jesus did was something that those disciples couldn't understand. They were going, no, this isn't right. This is weakness. We thought you were all powerful. You're sitting in situations going, no, God, why did this happen? And you don't know he's a good father who can see what you can't. And so we see that in that one act, Jesus with his disciples symbolically overturned the whole social order of what seemed right. And then as the disciples ask him questions. Jesus responds in John chapter 13, 16 to 20. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you not understand? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. What Jesus was saying to the disciples is, if you're the most powerful person in the room, pick up a towel. If you're the most powerful person in the room, pick up the towel and serve. They're like, no, no, that's not the way it works. You've got to be big and have all the money and the, the, the like, big strong sword and like, beat everyone up. And so he turned it all around. You see, what the disciples perceived as weakness was actually a sign of power. Because it would be through Jesus serving God the Father and mankind that he would ultimately fulfill his purpose, defeating death with a power that had never been seen and will never be seen in history again. Mark chapter 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That ransom that would pay the price, bringing salvation to all mankind, defeating death, so that no matter who we are, what we've done, or where we're going, we can know the hope, the love, and salvation of Jesus. That power was accessed through the very act that the disciples assumed was weakness. And so do we so often. Where Peter saw weakness that declared no, Jesus saw power that declared yes. Yes, Father, I will go to the cross in serving mankind and bringing salvation for all. Yes, Father, I see the power of the cross being a servant to mankind as the very key that will unlock power and salvation for all. And Isaiah 55 God declares, your ways are not like my ways. Doesn't make sense. No, God, that's weak, God. I need power now. Why don't you bring the power and smash this thing? You, it feels like you're weak. And he's going, my child, my ways are not yours. I can see what you can't. Maybe stop obsessing over having to have all the answers and simply trust that I'm good, that you're my child. And that who I am and what I choose and how I lead is beyond your comprehension. You see, 
Just like as you might laugh while God may weep, you may say no while God is saying yes. No, God, this isn't working. You're like, no, God, I can't do this. He's like, yes, you can, because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. No, God, I won't be able. Yes, my child, you will, because I am able. No, God, I won't make it to the finish. Yes, you will, because it is finished. And so here is the conclusion today. As we prepare for Easter, as we reflect on Jesus, don't allow your circumstances to define what you believe about God. Allow what you believe about God to define your circumstances. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you've defined God as weak or as absent or as lacking uh, um, empathy because your circumstances seem to say that. But what if instead of defining your God by your circumstances, you began to define your circumstances by your God? I'm more than a victor through Christ who loves me. That no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That every time there was a problem, it was the start of a miracle for Jesus. And so Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. As we land, we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus. We turn away from the natural realm, from, oh, this is like this in my life, and I'm so, and God didn't do this, and you know, I'm so disappointed, and I really believed, and I had hoped for, and ah, uh, we stop. We, we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus, our God who he is, Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. My child, I could see that you would be mine if I washed your feet. My child, I knew that you would be mine as I wept in the pain of being crucified on the cross. I saw a yes where you only saw a no. And I've got this and sealed it through my sacrifice. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you could be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation. And now he sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. He sits exalted, exalted as the King of kings, the living God, the Savior of the world. Out of moments where he wept in a celebration, out of moments where he seemed to be washing the feet when he should have been sitting on the throne, our God's yes is sometimes in the midst of what we think is a no. Our God's direction and security is in him coming into the middle of what we think is the way things should be and disrupting them with his purposes because he can see what we can't.